Hey there, welcome to the Snake Bear Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out those wings, and slither in place, because this is Snake Bird. Hey, Snake Birds, welcome to a brand new episode of the cast. Today we're doing something a bit different, even posting this episode a couple days early to connect with this special day and catch what's in the air. And so I have to ask, other than COVID, what's in in the air, Stephen. Tis love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today's topic is by no accident, guys, because uh, Josh and I have stealthily chosen this episode because of the yearly appearance of Cupid on the day of Valentine's Day. <laughs> and while I do agree with Ron Swanson that this holiday has been created by Hallmark to sell more cards, we will be looking at the real meaning of the term behind all of that mess, and that is love. That's right, love. <laughs> and I was thinking we need to bust out our very best Barry White voices. Uh, girl, there's been times where we've had love and we've made love. <laughs> and, and talk low and slow as we address Put that a very... Hue in the air. <laughs> oh, mercy. Is there, maybe we should stop. Is there a you in love? Because I'm in love with you. Oh, mercy. <laughs> I don't know. That's great. I would like to say to you guys out there, before you push that next episode button uh, this episode's not going to be just a Hallmark movie no. God knows that I get enough of that from my wife Ooh. who has it on on every TV in the house babe wow. I love you but I can't stand that um, <laughs> no I'm just playing but um, you know all joking aside the, the topic of love it's much deeper and much different than many may think and today we're going to be discussing, you know, the true definitions of love, what love really looks like, uh, and why it is that very term that every believer must be founded on. Because as we all know that only three things are going to be left when all else is faded away, and the greatest is love. Mm. So um, that's the topic. It's Valentine's Day. It's very festive. And we're going to talk about love. <laughs> yeah, and we're not wearing diapers or carrying bows and arrows right now. <laughs> got to say, after Christmas, I am a bit chubby, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. If you call me Cupid one more time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, we often define things right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And... Um, as I got to defining love, it was very tricky for me. It's a broad topic. It is. It is so broad. And um, we know that there's several words used for love in the New Testament, and we'll, we'll kind of get into those as we go. But one thing I struggled with as, as I pondered the definitions is how we often um, are failed by the Webster's format that, that we, we mm -hmm. see defines love. Uh, because number one, people interpret these definitions so differently. And number two, we, we know that God is love and the attributes of love are made manifest in so many different ways that people can abandon the balance of what love really is by clinging to a particular attribute they prefer love to represent. Mm -hmm. um, for example, two categories related to love would be um, emotions and, and action. Mm -hmm. And the emotional side can be as shallow as the physical attraction or infatuation. And, of course, we see the total misunderstanding of loving ice cream, cars, or whatever. But the deeper side of, of the emotional could be a more heartfelt dedication of feelings that become visible in a more pure sense. And then on the action side, love could be as shallow as traditional rituals, and the deeper side would be finding a sincere satisfaction in what obedience to God really accomplishes, which, you know, that that's what Jesus teaches us in John 13, 17, Luke 6, 46, uh, why do you call me Lord but don't do what I say mm -hmm. type of thing. You know, it can be shallow and deep, and both are important sometimes, yeah. depending on, on what's going on. So um, while the first... Corinthians 13 um, version of love or layout of love, which is, you know, it's kind, patient, not proud, etc., which we'll touch on uh, here and there, I'm sure. While that scripture points out some great indicators of love, we should be very aware that love must be balanced properly to bring forth its true form. Very much the same, I thought, as becoming more like Christ. Mm -hmm. So it, it's such a, it's like the, the God's word, you know, shallow enough, the child play in it, deep enough, elephant can drown in it. Yeah. So it just, it, it's a broad topic 
it's kind of hard to wrangle. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to rope that bull. <laughs> well, and I, I think that's what will be interesting because as we went to our study corners, we kind of didn't have a lot of direction with this. And so yeah. we kind of came back with some really interesting ways of looking at it or uh, the way that we approach this. And uh, to echo what you said, I'll say this. Love is a complex word. I mean, you're talking about a very broad topic. Um, and I would say that the English language doesn't do it a whole lot of justice. The reason I'm critical of the word love in the English language is the varying degree of affection I may feel or show for something that I love and my inability through this single word to communicate that specific degree. Yeah. For example, you've probably heard this before and you even just kind of said it. Someone might say, I love ice cream and then turn around and say, I love my spouse and my children. Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't take a genius to know that those quote unquote loves shouldn't have equal merit. And that of course your love for ice cream will far outweigh your love for your spouse. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that is, that's, that's deep. I'm just so kidding. profound. <laughs> so you know that your love for your spouse or your children will way vastly outweigh way your love for any type of food or beverage Fantastic or hopefully point. it should um <laughs> but you know that's the that's the issue when you come to defining and that's why you say even webster in this specific instance fails because the bible from cover to cover is actually the perfect definition of love yes and that's why for us we say well it's such a broad topic because um (laughs) i did a study and we're going to start in genesis 1 1 yeah (laughs) and we'll end up in revelation 22 and and we don't have that kind of time absolutely yeah that's that's a great great point because it's so god is love and he is has given us this book the bible that displays that in so Mm -hmm. many different ways so yeah yeah, and and that being said, um, I, I thought it'd be cool to lay out love in the Old Testament. Oh, please! Um, because oftentimes people they'll make remarks suggesting God doesn't show as much love in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as Paul tells us in Galatians three, the law was a tutor that leads to the advanced understanding in the New Testament. So really quick, let's recognize three preconditions according to the Old Testament that reveal how God introduced humanity to love. Okay. Uh, Number one, we see that the initial relationship that Adam and Eve had with God um, that that's that's the first spot I'm going to start off here. One author writes, We have the capacity for relationships because we are made in the likeness of a personal God. God created us to reciprocate that love back to Him in a relationship of mutual love. Number two is in regard to God pursuing the lost. This would be after Adam and Eve turned their back on God through disobedience. Another author writes, The true meaning of love depends on a true understanding of God, whose love causes him to pursue human beings even though their hearts have turned away from him for other substitute loves. The second point assumes that human beings still love, but they do so in a distorted way by sin. Mm And the second understanding of love makes me think about Luke eleven eleven, where Jesus says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks him for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so we can see that even evil people have a sense of love, but being distorted by sin, there's still that need for a pure and perfected love. Mm. And that leads us to the third understanding of how God revealed love to humanity in the Old Testament, and that would be acts of obedience. Uh, The Baker's Bible Dictionary writes, God's pursuit of human beings in history was by means of election and the establishment of a covenant. In short, loving God involved obeying his statutes. So as we discuss the New Testament understandings of love and and this broad topic of love, it's important to remember the tutor that gets us there, Mm -hmm. that got us there, that God laid there for us. Because even Jesus noted that the Old Testament is something to fulfill, not something to be done away with. So it's this Old Testament foundation of love that we're going to be, you know, building off of in the understanding. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, as much as the Old Testament is considered by many harsh, where the New Testament is considered soft, I think if you go back and you're able to look at God through the lens of love, that you see that 
everything that he does in the Old Testament, while some people might be like, he's judgmental and he's not the same God that, that we see after Jesus, you know, appears on the scene, you find that he very much is. Yes. And that everything that he's doing is for a purpose and it's for his people. And we just, we don't always put that inclusivity of going, oh, wow, he's he's reaching out for the whole world. Yeah. And until some people see John 3.16 and then you're like, for God so loved the whole world. And and it's easy to turn the, the switch off going, okay, that's not who God is until this point. Yeah. But the truth is, is that all the way from Genesis 1.1, up until the New Testament, it's still the same guy, and it's still the yeah. same aspects. Yeah, yeah, that's it's so true. And, and we we needed to understand love in the way that we did back then, the way mm-hmm. he did it. And, and when you become a believer, he'll slowly, as especially as you study his word, yeah, he'll show you that. Well, and I I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> Not that necessarily there's anything to spoil, but we're gonna talk. I'm sure about the word agape. Mm-hmm. And what I, I never realized this, and, and this is kind of the direction that I went with some of this, is that when they um, translated the Bible from Hebrew into Greek in the Old Testament, did you know that the word agape shows up more in the Old Testament than it does in the New Testament? I thought that that was Hebrew, not Greek. Well, it is Hebrew. Yeah. But they translated it into Greek for those that wanted to read it in Greek. Oh, the, oh, the did you say the Septuagint? Well, I had, I didn't say it because oh, gotcha. I was I was I didn't <laughs> okay. want to like I will I I follow you now. Okay. I'll yes. follow you now. So for those listening, the Old Testament translation of Hebrew into Greek is called the Septuagint. Yes. And so um the use of the word agape is used 300 times in the old testament whereas it's used 250 times in the new oh wow and of course there is more room to cover in the old testament there's 39 books compared to 27 mm-hmm. but love is in the air <laughs> love is there and it's expressive of god to his people it's him saying i unconditionally love you and we'll talk about what agape means but that floored me well, yeah, I love this about our study corners because I didn't even think, and I love touching base in the Septuagint, mm-hmm. from the, and I didn't even think about going and checking that out. That's a really cool thing that, yeah. you, that you brought there. I mean, because, I didn't even know that. Well, and that's the direction I'm going to go when we get to it, is that I've heard so many times the different Greek words for love, mm-hmm. but I hadn't ever really done a study on some of the Hebrew words for love, and yeah. that's kind of the direction I went, right and on. I spent the majority of my time time and i'm gonna try to speak hebrew later on (laughs) (laughs) Nice, (laughs) (laughs) because i listened to the guy on uh, blue letter bible as you can click on the word and listen to the dude read it which i've mentioned before on this podcast if you're keeping tally or whatever this is probably like my fifth mention of him but i appreciate that man yeah, it's a small price to pay for for phonetic perfection. <laughs> exactly. Well, as we read some of these, we're like, and then uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, you know. I, I think I need to visit that a few times. <laughs> some of the, the, the butcherings I do. Well, it, it kind of goes in in line with what I was going to say next about love in the New Testament because I was planning on approaching this New Testament love portion by pulling from from that book Jerry Chapman wrote called The Five Love Languages. Oh, okay. Um, and I've heard it's a really good book. Uh, spoiler alert: I have not read it, but oh. you know, at every turn that I tried to do that and I tried to research what he brought from that, uh, I came to a dead end. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the Greek words. I saw wasn't wasn't even in the Bible. It was one just of the, of the uh, the era. Yes, but um, I kept finding myself trying to fit this idea into Scripture rather than pulling straight out of God's Word. And so, long story short, I abandoned that approach altogether and just decided to pull from the areas in Scripture where I didn't have to fit uh, that into submission. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, one thing um, that most will know is is the truth we find in First John. 4 eight that tells us God is love. We've mm-hmm. already mentioned that. And that if we do not love, then we do not know God. And this is one of the most foundational things that we can know as a Christian because it tells us if we know God. The question then becomes, what type of love? Because we we know through that scripture in Luke 11 that even those who are evil uh, have the ability to love in a more shallow sense, but it's important to see what saving love really looks like. Yes. 
So I think this is a great spot where we can jump into some definitions yeah. uh, to decipher ice cream and spouse. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Josh, why don't you take us oh, from there? Okay. Well, um, both the Hebrew and Greek language don't share quite the limitation that speaking American does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or you have to say American. American. <laughs> <laughs> or English. Um, don't get me wrong. We have words like affection, adore, cherish, yearn, lust, and desire. They're just not as colorfully expressive and often they lack the depth of meaning as the original languages of the Bible. And like you said, the uh, Old Testament's in Hebrew for the most part. There's a, a short section in Aramaic um, and then in Chaldean, right, with the book of Daniel. Uh, yeah, there's a switch up of languages yeah, there yeah. that I think is really fascinating. Yeah, yeah that's a whole yep. other snake bird. Whole other. Um, but then the New Testament is primarily in Greek. I mean, it is Greek. And so uh, we wanted to go into the different um for me, that's the direction I went as I went in to see what type of words were used in Hebrew and what type of words were used in Greek for love. And and um, you were talking about Gary Chapman and, and looking at uh, like the different Greek words that he used. I found this chart and I thought it was really interesting of eight different Greek words that can be used for love. And only three of them are actually in the New Testament, and then one is kind of referenced, and that's eros, which is gotcha. like like um, romantic love or yeah. <laughs> erotic love. Is yeah. you know it's, like the guy we were trying to sound like at the beginning of the episode, very yeah, white, very white. <laughs> which man, <laughs> that dude has a killer silky voice. So okay, I wanted to go over those a few, and then we'll kind of break into what the other ones mean. But eros is erotic love. Uh, philia or phileo is affectionate or brotherly love. Storge is familial love. Ludus is playful love. Mania is obsessive love, which it's kind of funny how some of these you actually see in the English language and you're like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense on yeah. why that word means what it means. Are you going to go back on some of these and discuss them? Some of them, yes. Good, because I want to know what playful love is. Oh. <laughs> that just, just sounds interesting. I, I did not expand on Ludus. <laughs> <laughs> just, just curious. Uh, pragma, which we get the word pragmatic, oh, yeah, I would yeah, think, yeah. Um, is enduring love. Uh, fellatio, which is self-love, which, I mean, let's Narcissism. Stop. Yeah, okay, there you go. Um, agape, and that's unconditional love. So those are eight. And like I said, really only three of those are actually in the New Testament. But um, I wanted to go back to the Hebrew words for love. And yeah. this is... Um, I'm just going to kind of run over a few of these. So the first one that you see is ahav. Um, ahav, in it, or like ahav. And it's a verb, and it means to love. And it's uh, and it can mean uh, human love, or it also can mean God's love towards men. And it's to delight in, to desire, to be attached to, or to cling to, to hold on to. And it speaks of a tender, earnest love that desires to see and to be in the presence of its object. Okay. And so if you have this, you're like, I just want to be around them. So that kind of speaks of the, the personal God that yes. we have. Yeah. Okay. And in the Old Testament, um, it's used to describe God's tender love and mercies for his people. And and one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is in Isaiah chapter 43, when it says, uh, though you walk uh, in the waters, the, the rivers will not overflow you. And though you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. And then just a couple of verses later in verse four, it says, since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and and I have loved you. That's that ahav. Oh, okay. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. And God is saying, you're precious to me. You're the object of my affection. And it also describes the friendship between David and Jonathan, the tender love uh, between Isaac and Rebecca, and the parental love of Abraham for Isaac. It's actually the first word um, that's used in the Bible for love. If you remember, we talked about this for a while in our Abraham um, profile, because Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac and it says, take the son whom you love. 
That's that mm, word right there. Okay. It's the first mention of love in the Bible. And and um, it's unselfish and it serves um, the beloved making sacrifices for him or her. And we should strive to love one another like this. Okay. And so that's one of the words that is in Hebrew for love. That, that makes me think. You talked about David and Jonathan. I, I thought of that, that moment that Jesus talked to his apostles, calling them friends. I wonder yes. if that was uh, kind of the idea of a friendship. Deep, I would deep friendship. I would think so. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they list out just time and time again um, where this word is used, and it's really interesting because it's just representative of God's love. Like is Exodus uh, twenty verse six says, "And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commands." So it's it's not only um, from God to us; it's also from us to God. That's cool. And so it translates both ways. Um, I'll go on if you're okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Keep going. So there's another word, and it's chavav. <laughs> <laughs> That's much different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it means to love uh, fervently or to cherish and um, even to hide as in like you're hiding it in your jacket. You know, you're keeping it close to your chest to cherish with affection. This love draws its object close with the desire to cherish and protect it. It's unwilling that unwilling that any harm should come to the object of the love and is willing to protect it at any cost. God loves his people with havav and desires to have a close close fellowship with them. He wants to hear our voice often. We find this word in Deuteronomy 33.3. It says, Indeed, he loves his people. All his holy ones are in his hands. They follow in his steps. And so this is a, again, this is one of those words where it's like, I hold you in the palm of my hand. And and we find that in the New Testament. It's really neat to see that in the Old Testament, yeah. um, like in the Psalms. and Neath the shadow of his wing. Yes. Very cool. Yes, it's that. Okay. So then we come to one, uh, and it's, I love the way it's spelled because it, it's spelled like it sounds. It's hashak. Hashak. <laughs> yeah. I like it. And I think of like hackashack, which is a basketball <laughs> joke, but it means to love, to be attached to or to long for. And it's to have a delight or a desire to, to really be like set in love. Like there's nothing moving you. Yeah. And it can refer to God's love for his people or like a man's love for a woman or even our love for God. And it speaks of a deliberate choice to love someone or something. Oh, so uh, it's not a feeling, it's a choice. Yeah, it's a choice. Gotcha. And it's similar to Ahav, the first one I mentioned, but this love longs to spend time with that with that object. For example, God chose to love Israel with a special love and he loves people and desires them to be saved. And in response to God's love for us, we ought to set our love on him and delight on him. Jesus uh, described this type of love in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, agape, which is, again, this is the way it's translated from the Greek into the Septuagint. um, He will keep my word and the Father will love agape him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And the Old Testament way that um, it's, displayed is in Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen. It says, indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. You have cast all my sins behind my back. Oh, wow. So um, those are the three big ones that I found in the Hebrew language. There's a few more, and I didn't do a lot on them, but I'll just kind of give them honorable mention. Yeah. Is uh, yada which is uh, another time of saying to know, but it's also like to make love. And so um, in Genesis chapter four, Adam, Yadad, Eve, <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> you know, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> he knew her and she bore him a son. Or there's another word called Chrahem, which is devotional love. It's like a parent to a child or again, God to mankind. And one of the verses that can display that is Isaiah 49, 15, can a woman forget her nursing child and yet not have compassion 
um, which is another way to say this word on the son of her womb. Surely they may forget, but I will not forget you. And then one other word is hasad, which is like merciful or faithful or even emotionally loyal. It's like a contract or a covenant um, that alludes to allegiance. And it's in 2 Samuel twenty two twenty six. It says, uh, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. And with a blameless man, you show yourself blameless. And so again, it's like that, um, that contract love, which the depth of these words is always outstanding to me. I, I just love spending time looking at them and going, oh, wow. Um, because when you, when you start to think about what Hebrew is, it's markings. Yeah. And so one marking can change the word from meaning just singular to all of a sudden plural, or yeah. it can bring a whole new meaning to it. But a lot of times these words are kind of in the same family. It just, it's, yeah. it's interesting to sit and kind of meditate on it and ruminate on what they all mean. Well, I was going to say, as you were laying all that out, it was, it's fascinating to me because it really speaks to how much God loves because some of those, they were similar with slight variation, but God makes a point to, to describe the different ways he loves. Mm -hmm. And and in English, we would use the same word for just about every one of those. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a shallow meaning Mm -hmm. in American. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But But it really is. But some are like, I'm tied to you. And some are like, I keep you hidden. And some yeah. are like, I'm not letting go of you. <laughs> you know, it speaks to the depths of his love. Mm-hmm. That's really, that. Yeah. that's fascinating. I'm really yeah. glad you went into that. Cause oh, that I, is fascinating. And I thought it was neat about the ways that it uses from man to God as well. And, yeah. and just the way that they knew how to say the specific word versus us just saying, God, I love you. Yeah. I got to say, I'm going to do another study after we do this. On oh love. yeah. <laughs> well, it's really it, cool because it, I mean, it, it allows you to break out of the Jesus is my boyfriend songs, you know? Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well put actually. <laughs> Never liked those myself. Yeah. And, and what I mean by those are worship songs that say like, I am like, it waters it down. It does. It does. Yeah, if I, we if we become boy band worship songs, you yeah. know, then it gets sketchy and and it loses some of the depth of what it means. And that's why hymns are so fantastic. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they're musically complex and they don't sound as good as modern music. But I love when they're even able to take them and kind of dust off the 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 notes but yeah. keep the lyrics yeah that's true you and I, i've always heard that um uh, hebrew poetry is more bouncing ideas than rhyme mm. and so that's just the idea of love that's well put mm. that's neat um so you got any more on on definitions josh i have more on the greek but i've been talking for a while so <laughs> why don't we go for a little bit and i'll come back to those okay so the next angle that I go is um, I touch on things that love can accomplish. Um, number one, uh, it can guard us from sin. And this isn't number one, like the most important one. Oh, yeah. But not an exhaustive list. But it can guard us from sin. First Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And this isn't saying that our love is what fixes our sin, but if we are really loving as God has commanded us, then we'll be guarded from a multitude of sin that would otherwise creep in and ruin us. Mm. Uh, This is speaking of our relationship with others, our love towards others. If we're loving like God has commanded us, then there's going to be certain things that will and will not show up in a very tangible way that people can see. Um, Our pastor at the church that we go to, um, he said this in one of his sermons, We have a tendency to walk around with a list of people who matter and people who don't matter. Now, this list of people who don't matter can show up through the way we speak about people, the way we treat people, things we do to people, but sometimes it's also the fact that we ignore people. And he goes on to say that this is a blind spot that we don't always see in ourselves, yet we find it easy to see in others. So 
we should keep in mind that that none of us are immune um, to that. And and one thing that I personally notice about this loss of love is that we'll make blanket statements about people. Mm. Uh, when someone has a stance a little different than ours, we'll, we'll lump them into a category with blanket statements like um, they're ignorant or even worse, they're ignorant of God, you know, yeah. um, which uh, that's related to that word raka that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 5.22. I laugh because I'm the worst at that when I'm driving. So <laughs> I think we all are and, and, at moments. And looking at political posts. <laughs> so if we're not loving like we should, then, then sin will overtake us. It it can overtake us through gossip, through feeling more valuable than Mm -hmm. others, through false humility in an attempt to seem more righteous than others. And more times than not, the log in our own eye will be ignored for the speck in our brothers. So rather than falling into that trap of of becoming a Pharisee, let's remember that if we love like 1 Peter 4, 8 teaches us to, then we'll be guarded against a multitude of sins. Mm. So that's one thing that love can accomplish. Yeah. Um, another thing, uh, love binds everything into perfect harmony. Colossians 3.14 says, Above all else, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. And this aspect of love is one of those things that if we take hold of it, if we truly let God's love take a hold of us, then everything else is going to fall into place. Uh, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. And in context, Jesus is telling us in this verse um, how to overcome worry. So, So to pursue God who is love is to pursue love itself. And putting on Christ, we will automatically be setting ourselves up for a more balanced and joyful life. Mm. Um, Maybe you have a spouse that's nearly impossible to live with. Putting on Christ, who is love, will start steering you in a direction where peace can be found. Uh, Maybe you're struggling to raise kids and support a family as you're trying to pay bills, um, teach morals, navigate how on earth you're going to get from point A to point B. Putting on Christ, who is love, will prepare you for those tough times and decisions and give you peace when you look back and know how those decisions you made came from God's guidance. Mm. Um, Maybe you're struggling with your health or the health of a loved one. Putting on Christ, who is love, will give you strength that cannot be found or described. Uh, Isaiah 43 one through two tells us, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, Josh mentioned this one, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So remember, Christian, to put on Christ is to put on love. And when we do that, we'll be heading in a direction that binds everything in our lives in perfect harmony. Obviously, we're going to have hurdles in life, but those hurdles are so much easier to pass through when we're bound in the perfect harmony of love. Mm-hmm. So that's that's another thing that love accomplishes. And number three, love accomplishes a perfect reflection. One thing that we've talked about before is progressive sanctification. Mm-hmm. And what that term means is that we're becoming more like Christ. And becoming more like Christ means that the world gets a glimpse of Jesus in our lives. So growing in love accomplishes a reflection of Jesus in us. And without recapping the amazing story of all Jesus did, one of the best scriptures I know to go to for seeing what love, which is Jesus, looks like is 1 Corinthians 13. And this, hands down, is one of the most visited uh, pit stops in scripture when talking about love. And the reason is pretty obvious. Uh, We're told that if we accomplish every command God ever gave and understand all there is that we could possibly know but don't have love, then we have accomplished nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a clanging symbol, it says. And and what it says, in starting verse 4, love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and it never fails. Mm. And we're likely, you're going to be familiar with that scripture. And it does a really good job of laying out um, some se- several aspects of love. One of the neat things about 1 Corinthians 13 
is, is that we have a list of what will and will not be present in those who do and don't love. We'll have patience, we'll be kind, we'll protect, trust, hope, and persevere. But then we have these characteristics that are opposite of love where we can pinpoint any areas in our lives where we might be suffering in love. Um, Having envy, boasting, we might have pride, dishonoring others, self-seeking, becoming easily angered or annoyed with people keeping a record of wrongs that people have done, mm-hmm. delighting in evil. That's that's a pretty obvious one. Um, and, and you know, as I read through this list, I couldn't help but notice how many of these bad characteristics I've had to personally battle throughout my own life. And, and if you too recognize that, it, it doesn't mean that you're exceptionally evil. It simply means that you're normally evil. <laughs> because we have to remember that we are all, even those secure in Christ, we all have that carnal sin nature that wars against love, that wars against that new creation. And it wants what the what it wants. Yeah, <laughs> you it know? does. The heart is desperately wicked. Exactly. And we have to keep it in check, and that's what God does. That Exactly. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, 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 I'm glad you did. Um, it, we all at some point will keep a running total of wrongs that other people do, and we'll, we'll judge them for it. We'll say things, uh, you know, like they once did this, therefore they're in this category, stuff mm. like that. Um, but these are all indicators that we should be on the lookout for, because if we catch them early on in development, we can um, painlessly give those back to God and start to grow in love again. Mm. So that's that's one that really spoke to me as well. Yeah. So, Josh, um, I've laid out just a few things that love accomplishes. Is there anything else? I know you said you had some more definitions. Do you want to go into any more of those? Yeah, yeah. And I just, I wanted to bounce off of what you said. When we talk about love, you know, for those that are listening right now and they're like, well, how does this have to do anything with Valentine's? Well, it has a lot because as a snake bird, love is it's got to be our modus operandi. You know, it's, it's got to be where we go. It's got to be how we walk because that's exactly what Jesus told. He said, love one another. Mm-hmm. And the way that we do that is knowing what his type of love is. And, and it's not based on emotions. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on manipulation or saying, hey, I'm going to show you um, affection so you'll do what I want you to do. What it is, is based on his example. And that's why looking at the Greek words for love, um, I feel like is so important. And as we did with the Hebrew, because there are three um, different words used for love in the New Testament, and all of them have a place to play in our hearts. But the third one, of course, is the most important. And that's the one we find that shows up over and over in First Corinthians chapter 13. So the first one is phileo. And it's brotherly love, friendship, fondness, and affection. But a lot of times, Philadelphia, that's where the city of brotherly love comes from, that can tie into feelings, although we're still instructed to have that type of love for one another. Uh, It's used throughout the New Testament. Uh, For example, in Titus 3.15, it says, All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And then... Paul right there, as he's closing the book of Titus, is referring to that brotherly love, that fondness, that affection that the saints would even have for one another. And that love is very good. It's something that we need to have, but it falls short of perfect love, which we'll talk about here in a moment. Another type of love that's in the New Testament in the Greek is storge, which is natural affection or familial love. And we find that in the New Testament, God uses the exact opposite of it called ostorge because he's um, talking about it in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 28 through 31. And it says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things. This is a long list. Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, or without natural affection. And that word in the Bible is used twice in that exact way, where it's saying like they're lacking of love, even for their, their family members, which they should have a normal amount of love for. Yeah. And so... 
that's the second uh, version of love used in the New Testament. And then we get to the third, which I, I call it the crown prince of love, because out of any, I think, definition of love in the Bible, it's the one that is most fitting of who God is. And that's the one that's used when we say um, God is love, and that's agape. And like I referenced earlier, it's used 250 times in the New Testament, and, and it refers to unconditional love, preferential love, chosen and acted on by free will. And it's not based on the goodness or um, of the subject that you're loving. It's not based on anything that they've done or the emotions that you feel for them. It's just based on the fact that you are going to love them. So that's really interesting. So it's a it, that is the choice. The best love is the love that you make the choice yes. to love. Yes, and it's it's that's the way that God loves us, and that's the word that's used in John three sixteen for God so loved the world, and then it's also uh, directed to us in uh, Romans chapter thirteen by Paul. Paul says, "Owe no one anything except." to love one another for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law and then um even in ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 but god who is rich in mercy because of his great love which was he with which he has loved us and so it's really interesting just to see that thread of love through the new testament but agape is so all-encompassing of god's unconditional love that when I'm able to say, I can't do anything to change how God feels about me, that changes my perspective of who he is. And and I'm not necessarily anymore trying to strive for God's um, favor, but instead I'm walking in the knowledge that he loves me for who I am. Mm-hmm. And I can be who he's made me to be because of that love. Wow. Yeah, that's that's deep. And so, I mean... For me, even doing a word study on the Old Testament, which was really cool, just dwelling on that one word, mm-hmm. it's mind-boggling. I mean, you just you sit there and you're like, wow. All of that's something to chew on, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and, and there's different um, variations of agape throughout the New Testament, but it all comes back to that one root word, which means unconditional love. Yeah, that's... That's awesome how much how much goes into the definitions that God meant to be there. Yes. Yeah. And he, <laughs> as he was creating these languages, he knew what was going to be said yeah. and how powerful it was going to be yeah. and what he was communicating through that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, do you got any more on the definitions, Josh? I do not. Okay. I, I don't have any more um, other than my ending statements. Okay. So. Um, do you have something you want to go on or you want me to just take off? Go ahead and, and okay. I'll, I'll jump on after you. <laughs> Alrighty. So my main takeaway point, it's twofold. And the first part is encouragement for everyone listening to seek love. Um, the love that defines us as Christians, which is a consuming and quite frankly, it's, it's hard to describe. We've discussed so many, um, different angles of, of what love can mean. And there's a lot. Um, but you know, it comes with that helper that Jesus promised would be given to us when he left 2000 years ago. Uh, the Holy spirit within us helps us grow in that love until we become that image of Jesus himself that God is going to be looking for. Um, so listener, I, I would encourage you to ask God to fill you with his love, his spirit. Uh, there's no way we can grow as Christians without it. And remember that that God is the only one that can renew that love in you through the Holy Spirit. But you have to open yourself up by receiving what He offers. So read His Word, pray, keep your eyes peeled um, throughout your day and see how He reveals His love to you and how you can um, push that out to others as well. And that's that's the first thing I would say uh, in conclusion here. And uh, the the next would be uh, the danger of losing love, even as Christians. Uh, one of the signs that Jesus himself gives us um, to show his coming at the end is found in Matthew 24. And I know that not everyone likes to talk about the end times, and, and some might even roll their eyes uh, because of the topic. But I, I pay attention to it because... You know, Jesus thought it was important, important enough to give us clues um, when, for when he approached. And one of the signs that he gives us is a noticeable loss of love globally. 
Matthew 24:12 says, "And because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will become cold." And the Greek word used for growing cold there, it's only used one time in the entire Bible in this description. And it's suko, to breathe, pass, to make cool, grow cold. And that sure sounds a lot like the last breath of somebody that's dying, mm. to pass, to grow cold. And this Greek descriptor is referring not only to the wickedness of the world becoming more degenerate, more nefarious, but it speaks also of those who are Christians who will lose their love, the very thing that separates us from the world. And I think that's something that we need to think about. A believer is a new creation, a new life. And that unique word Jesus used to portray losing love describes a dying life. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that many are going to fall away and the evidence of that falling away will be the loss of love. And if you're listening and you say, you know, every generation says the end time is near, I would remind you that 2 Peter 3, 4 says, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the beginning of creation. Hmm. And, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to notice the loss of love in the natural world as it sits. But um, as Christians, if we notice that we are declining in love, then I would plead with you to go to God with a full heart of willingness to be refilled for whatever lies ahead. Because after Jesus refers to that loss of love in Matthew twenty four twelve, he follows by noting that those who don't lose love are those who will endure to the end and will be saved. And remember the description of the church being the bride of Christ when he comes back, and also what that bride is supposed to look like at his return. And one thing that that, that bride is going to look like and to make her shine above all else is love. Mm. So on that note, I'll say again, seek the love that only God can build in us as we grow in him. Yeah, yeah, that's really good encouragement. It, it was a little dark, but <laughs> I, I meant it to be encouragement because sometimes that's needed. Yeah, yeah. And um, for me, you know, it, whether you celebrate this uh, day as Galentine's Day or uh, or Singles Awareness Day, maybe if you're not in a relationship or you're not married, or if it is Valentine's Day, especially in 2021 as Snakebirds and Christians we need to be shining examples of God's love and walk in the commandment to love as he exemplified for us, to agape one another. God wants to show himself to the world through our conduct and through our love for one another. And and that means being a, willing to lay down your life for others. That means willing to to step back and say, okay, I don't you know, like Matthew did. Matthew came to Jesus and he goes, how many times should we forgive people? Seven times? And Jesus was like, no, seven times 70 to the point where you forget. And I I was thinking about what you said earlier where, you know, love doesn't hold grudges. Yeah. And so um, I found something about love and it's very much reminiscent of 1 Corinthians 13, but I thought it was really neat. And I'd like to kind of just let this be kind of the last thing I say about it, if you're okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, So it's going to just be a lot of things about love. Uh, Love is not defined by the act, but by the character of God within the act. Love precludes hypocrisy and play acting. Love is unselfish, not based on self-need or want. Love is not conditioned on reciprocity or calculation of repayment. Love doesn't care who gets the credit. Love is active, not merely passive or theoretical. Theoretical love is like a good uh, band name. (laughs) (laughs) Love believes, trusts, and expects God to overcome all things. Love is directed towards people, not things, ideas, doctrines, or principles. We've really seen that, uh, I guess, intention these last couple of years. Yeah, that's true. Uh, love of neighbor desires them to have everything you have and more. <laughs> that's that's not in uh, contention with the Joneses. Uh, love precludes resentment, covetousness, and judging one another. Love seeks to commend, not to condemn. Love is not conditioned on the lovability or action of the recipient. 
Love does not engage in comparison. Love is not possessive, seeking to own or control another person. Love does not find its identity or life in the one loved. Love is the antidote to fear and paranoia. Love seeks the highest good of the other with no thought or benefit to oneself. Love involves self-denial, self-renunciation, personal sacrifice, and humility. Love is willing to suffer slights, hurt, and abuse. Love builds others up, nurtures, edifies. It is constructive, not destructive. Love seeks to avoid grieving or offending one another. Love of one's enemy removes his relation of power. Love precludes partiality, preference, distinction, exclusivism. It is universal and equal. Love cannot be coerced or obliged by law or moral principle and program. Love is not retaliatory and it turns the other cheek. Love does not dictate performance standards or expectations to others. Love prompts one to take the initiative to be the first to act. Love dissolves the emotional blocks which keep us from being sensitive to others. Love does not demand its personal rights. Love excludes suspicion and mistrust. Love allows one to be free to be man as God intended him to be. Wow. So. Yeah, that's a lot to chew on, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's a long (laughs) list. But it's like one of those things where... I've been to weddings where they get up and they're like, First Corinthians 13, love never fails. Love yeah. does not boast. You know, and you're yeah. like... It's the pit stop. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, and I'm not judging anybody that reads scripture at a wedding because, I mean... And those you, things are true. But, yeah, you come to some weddings and you're like, it's obligatory. Yeah. And yet there's so much to chew on. Even in just that passage, love never fails. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's just... Valentine's, for me, while it's a a way overhyped holiday where a lot of people go crazy on purchasing things that they probably shouldn't because the rest of the year, they're all a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, I want it to be a milestone in my heart of just coming back and saying, let me review how I'm doing in my love for God and one another. Yeah. And and I think if we can set that up, that's that's an awesome place to be. Yeah. And, you know, that's precisely why I said at the beginning, this isn't going to be one of the Hallmark Channel versions of love yeah. because um, we're always going to approach it from a scripture side of things. And yes. I, we, we thought it was very important to uh, just, you know, take advantage of this holiday to discuss what love really yes. is. And married life pro tip, make a deal with your spouse to celebrate Valentine's after Valentine's Day. And you get mad deals on good stuff. I, I just do the Ron Swanson. We don't celebrate it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's a scam, Josh. It is a scam. <laughs> no, if you celebrate it, no judgment here. Oh, man, that's great. Little but... judgment. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Love doesn't judge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say something clever, but it just I lost it. It failed. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, we, we hope that you enjoyed the uh, the love episode. And um, so, hey, guys, if y'all like this episode, share it with people. Say, hey, here's the Valentine's episode. Y'all love it. <laughs> and uh, pass it on if uh, you feel, feel led to do so. Yes, and maybe you have thoughts on love that you'd like to share with us. We'd yeah. love to hear your voice on this. Again, this is not just two guys talking into mics. This is a community. So please connect with us on Facebook, via Facebook or via Facebook Messenger. Or even you can send us an email the old school way <laughs> at connect at com. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And we really want to um, love on you <laughs> as the story would go. <laughs> Anything you need prayer for, that kind of love. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, don't don't forget that you can always reach out with um, topic requests and, and all of that sort of thing, too. So just reach out to us. Uh, let us know what's on your mind, what's on your heart. We would love to hear from you. There it is. <laughs> stop, stop. All right, let's get out of here. Okay, always remember, whatever you do. Wherever you go. No matter what life throws at you. There's never been a better time to love like Jesus. And be a snake bird. <laughs>